Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, a presentation of Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades, culminated his ministry with a 21-year book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called Life Study. This Life Study is the basis for our program today and includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's program. We all know that there is an Old and New Testament, or covenant. Both have God and angels and many other godly items, but one is vastly superior to the other. We'll look at this comparison from the book of Hebrews on today's Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee. This program is furnished by Living Stream Ministry and is based upon the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Today's message comes from the Life Study of Hebrews in 1975, and Dick Taylor has joined us for our program today as we look at the one place in Scripture where the Bible itself shows this comparison between the old and new. Welcome back to the program, Dick. Thank you, Chris. Good to be here for this wonderful comparison. Dick, let's let our listeners know that we've made the printed copy of today's Life Study message available to them if they would call us toll-free at 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. Dick, though there is some question in the minds of some, we believe that the Apostle Paul was the writer of Hebrews. Considering his audience at the time, why was it necessary for him to so meticulously build a strong case for the new covenant by comparing it to the old? Well, these Jewish believers, on the one hand, were appreciating their faith in Christ. But on the other hand, their old background was something established by God in the Old Testament. So they were hesitating, they were wondering, and they were in this kind of situation needing a kind of a heavenly push and a heavenly pull. They were called by the Lord through Paul writing this epistle. They were called to go on with the Lord. And they needed to cross the river. Remember, Hebrews means river crosser. So Paul, by presenting this tremendous Christ, this vastly superior Christ in the book of Hebrews, was not necessarily rebuking them, but showing them by comparison how wonderful Christ is and how foolish it is to not come forward and to experience this Christ, enjoy this Christ, and pursue this Christ with their whole being. So their need was to come forward out of their old background to this wonderful, marvelous Christ who is the center of God's New Testament economy. Dick, you mentioned that these believers in their Jewish background, their old religion, actually given by God initially, became the river they needed to cross. Absolutely. Can our old experiences of Christ become such a river to us? That's true, they can. Even yesterday's experience. So we need to be always freshly crossing the river. Let's join Witness Lee for our life study, Dick. The book to the Hebrews is a book of comparison. It compares God's economy in Christ with the Old Testament things. 
a good number of the Hebrew believers. On the one hand, they appreciated the faith in Christ. But on the other hand, the Hebrew believers by that time were either staggering, wandering, hesitating in their old background. And that was something established by God in the Old Testament. Now, they also saw something in Christ. They were called to go on. They were called to cross the river. And this real situation, this letter, was written. We all know the best way to help people to realize something is to make a comparison. This is the way taken by the writer of this book. To present in a full way what is in the Lord's economy. What is the superiority of Christ? Which a background. It is so good there was the old religion. Without the old religion, you don't have a background. So, remember this principle. In this book, there's always a comparison. What are the main items that Jewish forefathers held as treasures? The items were these. Number one, God. In Judaism, according to the Old Testament, the number one major item is God. This is their boast. This is right. In no other religion, people have such a God. Number two. They boast in the angels because their precious law, the Ten Commandments, was given to the angels. Then, number three, Moses. Moses was a top leader among all the human leaders. No philosophy is higher than Moses' law. Then the fourth item, a priesthood with Aaron, the high priest. The one coming representing God was Moses, and the one going representing the people was Aaron, the priest. They do have such a priesthood, serving God for them, taking care of their need in the presence of God. Four items. Plus one, the Jewish religion had the old covenant. Number one, God. Number two, angels. Number three, Moses. Number four, priest, Aaron. Number five, covenant. All can say these are not good. Even these are the best, I would say. God, the angels, such a wonderful leader as Moses, such a wonderful priest as Aaron, and 
the covenant which all God's promises plus God's oaths. These are the five items. Dick, like a skilled attorney, Paul is setting forth the facts of his case, and he begins by enumerating the main factors of the Old Testament, with God and the angels and Moses and the priesthood plus the Old Covenant. These surely were things given by God. But is he now persuading the Hebrew believers to give up all these wonderful items? Well, definitely he is. He is persuading them to give them all up for this vastly superior Christ. And the way Paul is writing as this attorney, bringing out this matter of comparison as the real key to show the superiority of Christ and the New Testament. First of all, you have the real God of the Old Covenant, but he was the hidden God. And then you have the angels serving the heirs of salvation. Eventually we find out in the New Testament. And then you have Moses, who uh, in a sense brought God to man through the law. And then you have Aaron, who takes man to God as the high priest. And then you have the Old Covenant with all of its points. But actually that Old Covenant points to Christ. Moses is just a type of Christ. Aaron is just a type of Christ. The angels are far inferior to Christ. And the God of the Old Testament is the real God, but he had yet not passed through a process in Christ to become the revealed, experienced, reaching, uh, and enjoyable God to the New Testament believers. So Paul was making this comparison to show us and to show the Jewish believers why would you linger in all the old things? Cross the river. Come to this wonderful God in the New Testament. God the Son, who is the expressed and revealed God. Uh, he is vastly superior. I was reminded of Matthew 17 when the Lord took Peter, James, and John to the mountain. And then in that transfiguration situation, Moses and Elijah showed up from the Old Testament, representing the law and the prophets. And right away, God, as Peter uh, tried to rank the Son of God with something of the Old Testament, God was offended because he knows the superiority is altogether in his Son. So he made it very clear to them at that moment, this is my Son in whom I delight, hear him. There's no one that is even comparable to Jesus Christ, my Son. It's marvelous. He is vastly superior. Amen. Let's join Witness Lee for more of our life study, Dick. Where is the comparison between God in God's economy and God in the Jewish religion? The Jewish religion, they have a God who is so real but hidden, never expressed. But now, in God's economy, the very hidden God became expressed. And this God expressed is just God the Son. Oh, Jewish friends, you do have a real God, but you have never seen your God. Your God is the concealed God, the hidden God, but our God today is the expressed God. 
when John, the apostle, wrote the Gospel of John, he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And this Word, which was God, became flesh, and tabernacled among us. And we all have seen His glory. Then he said, no man has ever seen God, including Aaron. But this only begotten has declared God. Amen. Then in his epistle, First John, he said, this one who expresses God is our life. And we have not only heard him, we have not only seen him, we have touched him. This is our God. Jesus, friend, your God is real, but hidden. A still a mystery to you. But our God is also real. There's no more hidden. He is expressed. He is the effulgence of God's glory. He is the impress of God's substance. Jesus God expressed. And this God is much, 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 much better than the very God held by Jewish religion. Their God is hidden, concealed. But our God is revealed, expressed, seen, touched. Don't you have Christ in your spirit? Oh, Timothy... The Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Who is this one? The revealed God. The expressed God. The very God reaching you. Have you seen the comparison? Our God today is such an expressed God. A God reaching us. An experience by us. A God becoming our enjoyment day after day, morning and evening. Hallelujah. This is our God. Dick, this was a marvelous word. Paul's comparison of the God of the Old Testament, the one that was hidden, concealed, and in a very real sense, far away, is much different than the one we have in the New Testament. Dick, who wouldn't want a God not only revealed but one that can be touched and even possessed. I don't know who would not want this God. <laughs> I want him. <laughs> and I appreciate when you see John 1.14, Christ, who's the word of God, became flesh to testify God, to reveal God, so God could be touched, revealed, explained, defined, and experienced. And in John 1.18, it says, no man has ever seen God, but the only begotten Son, he has declared him. And uh, there are many other verses that are helpful. Like uh, Isaiah 9, 6, I really appreciate this. It says, unto us a son is given, and his name is called the Eternal Father. Well, God in the Old Testament is the God not revealed to us. So God as the Father is for his being. But God, as the Son, is for his being given to us so that we could actually enjoy him and experience him. So but we have to say hallelujah for God's New Testament economy. 
And we have to say hallelujah for the revealed God, the touchable God, experiential God, and the one who can be possessed and enjoyed by us. He's the God who's gone through incarnation, death, resurrection. Today he's the life-giving spirit, and he's right with our spirit to be possessed and enjoyed by us every moment. Dick, I have to repeat a phrase that you just uttered. You said God the Father was for his being, but God the Son is for his being given to us. Amen. Marvelous. Marvelous. Let's go back to our message. Now, talking about angels. Christ, as the Son of God, that means as God is superior to the angels. No need to say our God today. Even the God in all religion was much superior to the angels. The angels were his servants. Later on we will see the angels were just like winds. Don't consider the angels so high. The angels are not only inferior to Christ, they are much inferior to you. They are not so pretty. They are lacking like winds, like the fire to serve in God's purpose. Even in the old time, God was superior to all the angels. No need to say compared with our Jesus. Our Jesus is the Son of God. God himself. Why he's God himself? He need to be God the Son. Now understand. To express God. To be God's expression. To be God reaching us. Coming to us. To be God received by us. Possessed by us. Experienced and enjoyed by us. He's not only God. He's God processed. He got a name more excellent. The son is not a small thing. He's not an adopted son. God today, hallelujah, is God the son. He was the son of God. But he was not fully declared as the son of God before his resurrection. God in the Bible it says God resurrected Christ. But in the Bible, it also says that Christ resurrected by himself from there. Again, you have trouble here. He was resurrected. He came out of death. That coming out of death was a designation that he was and still is the Son of God. For to face of the angels, has he ever said, you are my sin. This day I have begotten you. Here, God's designation is in resurrection. This means what? A new start, a new beginning. No ending, no termination, but rather germination. Then, in ascension. God not only said to him, This day I have begotten you. 
You are my son. But also God said to him, Sit here. Where? At my right hand. This is ascension. Then, number three, in the second coming. Verse six says, says what? Verse six says, and when she brings again the firstborn into the inhabited earth, when she came the first time, he was not the firstborn. He was the only begotten son of God. In resurrection, the only begotten son of God became the firstborn son. And we all became so many sons as brothers to the firstborn. So by this firstborn, you can know that here means he's coming back. God will bring him again the second time at the firstborn into the inhabited earth. And then after he's coming back, he will be in his kingdom. How do you know that he will be in his kingdom by verses 7 and 9? It says what? It says, Your throne of God and your scepter of the kingdom. This is in the kingdom. Could you see the sequence so good in this portion word concerning his resurrection? His ascension, his coming back, then his kingdom. After the kingdom, what? Eternity. How you know this is in eternity? Well, you just read verses 10 through 12. You can see this is something eternity. Because verse 10 says, You in the beginning, Lord, has found the dirt, and the heavens are the work of your hand. This was his creation. They shall perish but you remain, and they all shall become old as a garment. And as a rule, you shall rule them up. That means the old creation will be over, and the new heaven, new earth will come in. But you are the same, and your years shall not fail. That means he will be in eternity. What a portion word. In such a short portion, you have the resurrection, ascension, second coming, the kingdom, and eternity of Christ. This is our Christ. Christ is superior to the angels. Dick, this message is very pertinent today. There seems to be a particular fascination in our culture today regarding angels. Uh, you see it in movies, in TV, it's in novels. But the word in Hebrews and the ministry today is vivid. To be preoccupied with angels when we could have the Christ of God would really be missing the mark, wouldn't it? Sure would. There is no comparison between angels and the Christ of God. In this message, we see Christ's superiority due to his place in the entire universe. He is everything in the whole universe and everything from eternity past to eternity future. There's no comparison between Christ and the angels. Uh, I think before, uh, on other broadcasts, Chris, you and I have enjoyed that little chorus, all in all, forever, only Christ, I'll sing. Everything's in Christ, and Christ is everything. Uh, this brings me to uh, the utterance in the life study message related to this matter. Uh, and I'd like to just read a little bit because uh, I don't know any better way to do justice. What a portion of the word is Hebrews chapter 1. 
This chapter gives us an account of Christ from eternity past to eternity future. He was the very God in eternity past. He was the creator of the earth and the heavens. The angels are only creatures, but he's the creator. He's the upholder of all things. Even the angels are, are, are upheld by him. He's the heir of all things. And even he's made us, who are his brothers and his sons, heirs with him. The angels are not the heirs, but they are ministering spirits, and they serve the heirs of salvation. He's the heir of all things. He was incarnated for redemption by crucifixion. And he was begotten as the Son of God in resurrection for imparting life to the many sons of God. That's us. He's the firstborn Son of God who will come again. And he will be the king on the throne with the scepter in the kingdom. And he will remain forever and ever in eternity future. This is all in chapter 1. This short chapter covers such a wide span of what Christ is from eternity past to eternity future. This is our Christ, who is vastly superior. How much more superior is he to the angels? Tremendous. Tremendous. This is a, a message of comparison. And Witness Lee often used the comparison uh, of a mule cart as a mode of travel yes. with the 747. That's right. <laughs> and it's not that we depreciate the mule cart. And, in fact, you look back in history at a time when that's what people had. Mm -hmm. And there's a kind of appreciation uh, within you when you realize they actually were able to get around. But in comparison, there's no comparison. No. I could never take a mule cart from here to Tokyo. That's right. <laughs> but today, Tokyo, no problem. No problem. Around the world, no problem. No problem. In Christ, no problem. In Christ, no problem. Wonderful. Thank you, Dick, for being with us today and in participating in this life study of Hebrews and our unveiling the superior Christ that has been given to us. Praise the Lord. What a Christ we have. What a joy to work with you, Chris, just to enjoy the superior Christ. Dick, I would remind our listeners that that portion you read from is from the life study message that is available to them in printed form. Our toll-free number is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. You can ask for it also when you write to us. And our mailing address is Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. Or when you send your email to radio at lsm.org. Visit our website, by the way. You can find it at www.lsm.org. I would really recommend that our listeners check it out. It's, it's worthwhile. Check it out. And we'll be back with another Life Study of Hebrews with Witness Lee. I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee. Brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. If you have any questions or would like to find other Christians in your area who also enjoy this ministry, feel free to call us toll-free at 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 1-888-543-3788. Or you can email us, radio at lsm.org.
Thanks for listening today.